Um, I was going to do the weird introduction thing oh. where I say, uh, I'm Kevin from The Times, and this is Rupert Everett, but I think you, you, know, you know who he is. Um, we're going to do, uh, like, I don't know, 50 minutes of questions, and then, or 50 minutes of chat, and then throw it out to you for another 15 minutes, or uh, however it goes. Um, I think I'd like to start with, I know it's, it's, it's a really obvious question, because the, the, the myth around the movie or the story that's sprung up is that it took so long to make. Right. Um, you know, around roughly 10 years. Uh, why did it take so long, and at what, at, at why didn't you lose heart in, in the 10 years? Well, I think, first of all, uh, everyone here probably knows, it's not that unusual for movies to take a long time to get ready. It's so complicated financing stuff. In the UK, there's only four outlets, really. And once, if, if you then want to go further afield, uh, it's, uh, it's incredibly complex because you could get a bit of money from a fund in Germany and that money could start on January the 1st, 2016 and it will last till January the 1st, 2017. But if you haven't found any other money by then, you then would have to reapply for that bit you got. So the juggling of uh, film financing, as far as I could see, um, was, is very complicated and long. And also partly because it was just a... I was slightly past my sell-by date, as you very kindly mentioned in your review. <laughs> and, uh, you're welcome, you're welcome. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so it just wasn't, you know, what they say in Hollywood is no one wanted to get into the Rupert Everett business. And so that partly was something to do with it. But, you know, um, I, I kept going. And uh, I think keeping going, really, in show business, as in everything else, is really the only thing that counts. If you don't stop, something happens. I know, but where's the self-belief that in that whole process, you never just think, okay, uh, you know, I'll, I'll do something else? I did think four or five particular times that it just, uh, it was kind of, it felt I should stop. But then the trouble is, our business is all made about enthusiasm and kind of weird things happening. And so lots of weird things would happen. I thought, oh, that's a sign. I've got to keep going. And uh, one of them, for example, was um, I really was about to give up on about year five. And suddenly my phone rang, and it was Merlin Holland, the grandson of Oscar Wilde. And I hadn't even been in The Judas Kiss uh, by David Hare at that point, so it, there was no reason for him really to know anything about me. And I thought, <gasps> literally, every, I kind of, all the things went down on, what is it, happens on your back? Hairs on hairs the back, on the back, your back of your neck. Yeah, hairs yeah. on the back of your neck. <laughs> you can have hairs on your back. Hairs yeah. on my back all <laughs> went up. <laughs> and, um, and I thought that was God. This is Oscar uh, ringing me to say, you know, don't stop. And, um, and so uh, every time I did stop, there was always something that came up. Um, one of the things that sort of uh, struck me about it is, uh, you know, the fact that it's not just, uh, I expected to see the story of uh, Oscar Wilde, uh, this period of his life, but I wasn't uh, expecting to see a film that was sort of visually, and it sounds really patronizing, visually accomplished, but it's very visually stylish. Um, you know, well, I've, I've been in the business a long time, and in the old days when we were at work, you had a, there was nothing ever to do because it, it was so slow that there was nothing to do but observe how the rest of it was done. And I worked a lot in Italy at the beginning of my career. Um, and so I came across some amazing characters like Danilo Donati, for example, and Dante Ferretti, and uh, all those people who'd made those very textured aesthetics for uh, Visconti and Sergio Leone and all that kind of stuff. So I loved all that. Um, and, uh, and obviously, attacking Wilde, you wanted Wilde to have some kind of Visconti-esque um, aesthetic going. Mm -hmm. 
There's a gorgeous shot um, when he's hiding in the, in the church, is it, from the sort of homophobes? Um, the, 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 was that uh, you waiting for the golden hour? Or? That was sheer luck, uh, where, where the, the sun was shining right into the church. Uh, and um, it really was. That was a, an incredibly lucky moment because um, it was just, we just had so much luck with that. Sure. Um, Colin Firth <laughs> seems to be in the story of the film. He, he's like hiding in the background as someone. He's the Mary Poppins figure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he, um, he did, when I did the first reading of the film, I originally wrote the film for Roger Michel, the director, and uh, we had a reading of it after I'd written it, and Colin came, and uh, Tom Wilkinson came, and um, Emily Watson came, and I made them all sign this little piece of paper afterwards saying they're definitely going to be in the film. And, and th these are the pieces of paper that you then take to producers. They don't mean anything. Uh, they're not worth the paper they're written on. And, uh, but Colin uh, then became incredibly successful. And uh, so I would go around all these meetings saying, I just spoke to Colin Firth this morning. He was saying, you know, when are we getting started? Uh, <laughs> and, uh, which couldn't have been further from the truth. And, um, and so all the money was really reliant on, on, on him taking part in the film. So, um, which is a big responsibility for someone who's your best friend. Or, but, and we're not. You know, we're friends, of course. But, it, um, but he really was amazing and stood by me and showed up to make the film. And... Um, was an incredible support. And there is, you, it seems you have inserted, you know, um, not completely nerdy, but uh, slight references to another country in the way he's attired, is that true? Well, I, I always hoped that there would be some kind of eclipse uh, uh, because uh, I'd, I'd position, positioned his character, Reggie Taylor, which was true, as uh, one of Wilde's closest friends. And uh, so I thought it was quite thrilling that we were, we were uh, reunited in, in similar kind of waistcoats and shirts and stiff collars mm -hmm. from uh, our time in another country 30 years before. Sure. Uh, I have a question of tone as well. I, I know um, I love vomit. I, lo I, lo I love the scene at the end, near the end, where you know, this, the potential sentimentality is punctured by the horrible scene where he just gets sick. And uh, I wondered about you directing it and, and conceiving it. You know, is, is there a balance there? Are, are, were you doing that to, you know, for the beats or to make sure that it wasn't too saccharine? Or? I, I, it's, it's quite a challenge if you're going to make... It's rather like doing courtroom scenes at the end of movies. Uh, you know, they're really difficult to pull off because nothing happens. And the deathbed sequence is, uh, is a little bit similar because I've got 20 minutes in the bedroom. And, um, and I, you know, you, I, I felt it needed to be punctuated by you know, something that would, uh, that would pull you, you know, out of possibly getting bored. And plus that, you know, he did, that it's what happened to him. But um, yeah, I felt it needed punctuating. And, uh, and, um, and I think the, the passion of the character uh, and, uh, is, is one of the things that was really appealing to me. In uh, the 80s, when people started dying a lot of AIDS, um, I found myself quite often in, in elongated deathbed scenarios. And one of the things that is interesting as a friend to someone who gets very ill is when you cross that line between being just a friend uh, to being someone who's puked on or, or who has to kind of deal with you know, the, the harsh reality of illness. And it's an it's a, it's a extraordinary thing, really, because you think as a friend, oh, God, I could never do any of that. Cut to uh, you're doing it. 
And um, so for me, it was also an important, apart from the punctuation, it was an important, it was one of the things I found quite weird about the wild deathbed. It had so many AIDS-ish connotations to it. You know, a group of friends huddled around this endless deathbed. Mm -hmm. Going back to your original conception of the film, you know, were you sure that this small period of his life was, was, it, was worth investigating or was worth doing? You know, was it, because uh, we, we don't really think of that period of his life when we think of Wilde. I didn't really um, wonder about that, to be honest. I just knew that for me, uh, the end of the 19th century in Paris, Wilde, Verlaine also, the, the, the last great vagabond uh, of, the, of the 19th century, this notion of a, a huge star on the skids, I just didn't, I, I, I never really wondered about it myself, mm -hmm. really, at all. Uh, what about you playing Wild? I never wondered about that. I, <laughs> I, uh, I, uh, I wrote the, one of my main reasons for getting going was I was getting, you know, very uninteresting work uh, as an actor, and it was, uh, you know, it was diminishing, like the light of, at the end of a tunnel. And um, so I thought I've got to take the law into my own hands somehow and write something that maybe I thought could, you know, uh, get, get financed and get people interested. And it seemed like, in, in that sense, the right role to, to try and do. And because the other films had always stopped at the moment he goes into prison, it seemed natural that mine should start at the moment he came out. Sure. Um, how are you as a director on set? Wonderful. <laughs> um, very uh, um, um, snappy. Okay. Uh, I mean, it's, <laughs> um, sometimes I was in the, w watching the rushes, uh, I could see myself, because the other actors were really very kind to me. And, uh, but sometimes I'd, I could see my face when one of them forgets their line, and I'm look, just looking daggers at them. <laughs> and I feel, felt so embarrassed. I'd often have to ring up and say, look, I'm watching the rushes. I feel so awful that I was looking, to, I was so vile to you when you did, forgot your line. But, um, but I, it was, um, it, it was very nerve-wracking because, um, obviously, with every, most films, you know, the days were so packed and uh, we didn't really have any second chances. Uh, so if we didn't get a scene done, that was it. And so that was um, you know, nerve-wracking. And I think, you know, one of the things I would have against myself in this job is that you do need nerves of steel to face the crisis after crisis after crisis after crisis that you know, independent cinema normally is. And if you, do, if you have a tendency to hysteria, um, then, um, then you have to either medicate yourself or <laughs> do something. Uh, what about the locations? The locations, well, the main challenge about that was uh, the most money we got uh, was from this fund, uh, the Bavarian Film Fund, which was amazing. But the, it meant that we had to make 50% uh, of the film in Bavaria. Uh, where Oscar Wilde never went. Um, <laughs> and also, around Munich, where all the crews are, uh, obviously the idea was to shoot in Munich so no one had to have a hotel, but the thing was, the architecture in, in uh, Bavaria is, you know, Bavarian, mm -hmm. and also it's such a rich state that every old building is renovated like girls' fingernails, okay. and uh, there's nothing much you can do to it. But then I found, miles away in this state called Franconia, but that was still part of Bavaria, these three old uh, castles, uh, wonderful old castles with 
original furniture in them and falling down. And really, we put every interior, we, it was gold mine, mm -hmm. and uh, we shot all the interiors there. Sure. Um, <clears throat> I realize that we've already, I've already gone through my 15 minutes. I have one more question, then I'll throw it out. Um, which is oh, the, the writing, my, one of my favorite lines in the film is uh, when he said, I, something like, I found Christ in prison, he says, what was she in for? Oh, right. um, that's one of your lines, mm. and not Wilde. No. Um, when, you're, when you're writing it, uh, are, you, are, you, are you trying to blend in with you know, what, what we're sort of, the ear we have for, for Wildean sort of witticisms? I loved um, reading all those Christopher Hampton plays, for example, uh, and he wrote a play called Total Eclipse, uh, which is about Verlaine and the poet Rambo. And he used, a lot of words, this was the kind of 60s in the royal court, but lots of things like fuck off and oh, you silly, you know, C word. And it somehow I always thought that was really great uh, when you're dealing with Verlaine and Rambo because how, how are you going to um, make it work? So I, I, I thought I had to get, forget about trying to be too clever uh, and also maybe concentrate more on the very florid side of Wilde's writing, which is quite easy to... Uh, to copy. Mm -hmm. um, for example, uh, I wrote the letter to, to Constance, which is, I've knelt on hard stone and dined on shame and all the, and in a way that kind of stuff, it's, 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 it's not the great wild uh, stuff. So what was difficult was to, to come up with uh, the, the witticisms. But, and then for some of those, obviously I stole his, used mm -hmm. his, and um, a couple I came up with. Sure, sure. Um, okay, that's definitely my 15 minutes up. Uh, is there questions? All right. Sir. All right. Um, yeah, um, uh, Coleridge said about Shakespeare had to diffuse, dissolve, dissipate in order to recreate. It means a lot of things, but partly it means you've got the history, you've got the facts, you've got everything you know about the story, but then you've got to make it into a story that works and knock through here and, you know, take that character out and maybe invent something about this character. And I was just wondering what, um, what were the major, if there were any, uh, probably you didn't have to make major changes, I don't really know, but what sort of changes and, uh, you know, did you have to make in order to make the story, you know, right. tie together, yeah. The main one was there were kind of five characters around him, and I felt that I would never be able to deal with five characters. And so I knocked um, three of them out, uh, the real characters, uh, that, that were very much around Wilde. And, and uh, so that historically changed, because I thought I would never be able to juggle three, five characters and make them into really good characters. And so that I changed. Um, the two brothers, French brothers, uh, weren't there were lots of uh, little match sellers who Oscar read stories to, and then there were older ones who he criminals who he knew, some of whom he had affairs with, and I made them into a pair of brothers so that I could kind of copy them with the, the real children, the sons of Oscar, and and, and make that parallel. Otherwise, um, everything pretty much in the story happened actually, and uh, uh, and. Um, and that was really all I, I changed, I think. Uh, the Boy I Love is up in the gallery? That didn't happen. Um, <laughs> uh, and, but, but I felt that was, that was plausible because uh, you have, for example, the line of the guy says, who says to him, oh, there, you're returning to your dog, returning to your vomit. That was a scene that happened in the Folie Bergère. 
And so when you look at those Toulouse-Lautrec pictures and you see all those men, you see the one of Oscar, and you see everyone drunk and out of it, and uh, I thought him standing on a table in a pub, uh, having been a performer so much in his earlier life, I, I felt it, even if it didn't happen, it was the right thing uh, for him to be doing because it made for an audience the, um, it made the journey between, you know, public figure and, you know, drunk, it seemed to work and be true somehow. Sure. Um, <clears throat> any more uh, right at the, at the back? Um, I was, you've, you've, you've half answered one question. I was going to ask how historically accurate it was. Um, but my other question is, what's, what sources um, did you use um, to write it? Um, well, almost every book I read. Um, I mean, obviously, as a youngster, I read the Richard Elman uh, biography, which was the, the, the book that really rebranded Wilde, I think. But he got ill um, as he was finishing the book off, and so the chapter about exile is actually quite short. Um, and that's perhaps why people think it's a, it's a, a nebulous time, because uh, most of our information comes from Elman. But then, uh, this, then I started reading everything else. And once you start stalking a character like Wilde, it's really endless, because apart from anything else, there's a letter written to somebody every day, of, um, every week. And so you know where they are, all these people, all the time. And then there's a lot of books that were written, uh, contemporary books, by his friends, Frank Harris, Sherard. Um, and um, then there's a Montgomery Hyde um, book about the trial and all that. So, He's like James Joyce. There's so much information uh, there that uh, you can get. And once you get going, it's difficult to stop. Mm -hmm. um, any more? Oh, there's one down here. Oh, oh well, yeah. Um, how much did the, your performance in The Judas Kiss help, help you with this, um, this, the, the filming of um, The Happy Prince? Um, I think I, enormously it helped me because um, I was in the Judas Kiss for about two years on and off. And um, uh, I think uh, playing a part uh, night after night, so many things come to you uh, about that part um, as you go along and you get a lot of insights. And um, I think uh, it really, really prepared the ground for me as an actor so that when I got to shooting the film, I didn't really have to even think about myself in a way as an actor. I kind of just... I inherently knew what I was going to do, I suppose. So it was very helpful. Um, <coughs> there, was, there was one up behind, yep. Um, <coughs> I just wanted to say how much I liked the idea of Tom Wilkinson playing Father Carter Dunn when he'd played the Marquis of Queensbury in the film 20 years ago. <laughs> I, I assume that was a deliberate um, decision. It wasn't really a deliberate decision. It was just because uh, I'd been working with Tom and I adored him. And uh, I just always dreamt of him uh, playing. It was more that, in fact, we'd been in The Importance of Being Earnest together, and he played the Reverend Chasuble uh, in that. And I thought uh, I'd, I'd really thought about that more than um, him as Lord Queensbury, funnily enough. But um, mostly because I adore him, and um, I think he's just a wonderful actor. Uh, yep. Um, have you received a more recent telephone call from Merlin Holland? Than when? Than the when you got. Oh yes, no. Five after years. that, we became very good friends, and um, uh, and uh, yes, I, I'm in constant, not constant contact with him, but I, I see him a lot, and he's been. He was very helpful to me because he knows uh, he's got lots of 
fascinating information about Wild and lots of documents and letters and things. And uh, I got to know him and his wife quite well over these years. Um, it's quite tricky to write and direct and act in something. <laughs> Was there any, were there darlings that you had to kill in the cutting room? Were there what? Were there beautiful pieces that you'd put a lot of work into that you had to kill in the cutting room? Um, there were a couple of scenes that I'd written in the film that I realised afterwards watching them. They were, they were exactly they were identical scenes, more or less, so they didn't really work. And um, there was a scene uh, that I shot very badly uh, that I uh, also didn't work at all. Um, but mostly... Um, and there was a whole... I didn't have... We ran out of money in the edit, so... I w there was going to be a, um, a whole kind of area where, um, that was to do with Oscar hallucinating, which I never managed to even start on. So, which, you know, who knows, it might have, might have been a disaster. Um, but, um, so yeah, but about four or five scenes I, I lost, but mostly because they were repetitive, I find. Um, anybody else? All oh, right, one right in the middle. Um, what uh, single quality do you most admire about Oscar Wilde? Um, being a survivor, I think, and not being a victim, uh, and uh, retaining his sense of humour. Well, three qualities. Uh, I think um, in Exile, I think he was um, tremendously uh, tenacious uh, through through his exile. Uh, that I love about him. And there's a question right down the front here. If the in the second row. Second row. Yeah. Hi. Firstly, I uh, just want to say it's a sumptuous, wonderful film. Congratulations. Um, how much did the script change over those ten years? Um, did it change a lot, or, or was it pretty much a solid thing? From it the got a bit shorter. End? There was there were some things that were just too expensive uh, to shoot as soon as we were getting near to making the film that really had to go. And then um, again, once we actually got to the, the actual shoot, there were more things that had to go because they were just too expensive. But uh, uh, essentially, uh, nothing really changed uh, except for just having to kind of compress uh, certain things that I couldn't afford to do. Could you give us an uh, example of what's too expensive to shoot? Well, at one point in Naples, um, the, there's a saint called Saint Gennaro, and in fact, uh, he's the saint you see when Oscar goes down into the crypts to look at the thing. And every year, his blood is brought out onto the streets of Naples. And if it congeals, uh, it's a good year. No, if it flows, it's a good year. And if it congeals, it's a bad year. And the year Oscar was there, it congealed. So I engineered this fabulous riot <laughs> in the streets of Naples with thousands of people and Oscar and Bosie in the middle of it and uh, thinking, you know, that I would somehow manage to be able to make it. And that went. Uh, and then also I had um, Lord Queensbury. I never, one of the things I didn't really manage to establish properly because of this was Lord Queensbury, the father of Bosie Douglas, was meant to have a sequence coming out of court uh, and standing on the, at the, outside the Old Bailey where there was, was a huge crowd of people and him being lauded, him making a speech about family values and what the speech he made about any father would have done the same. And I was going to have this huge kind of gone with the wind shot of the camera pulling back and all the weird things that happened at that point, which was 
female hookers dancing jigs because they were so happy, because they thought that the gays were taking away their trade. Uh, and so they were all thrilled. And then I had um, Oscar coming out of the, the gate of the, um, the Old Bailey in the paddy wagon, and someone turning around, and the whole paddy wagon being stormed and rocked, uh, kind of like Day of the Locust, and then him uh, going off uh, with Lord Queensbury watching. Anyway, that obviously went too. <laughs> <laughs> Next time. <laughs> yeah. Um, any more questions? Okay, sorry, there's one right in the middle. I couldn't see you. Yeah. Oh, one coming from both throws. sides. Shall I go top Well, it's, it's there, it's coming, it's right beside you. Hi. Um, I loved the Robbie character. Um, I didn't know about him, and he really anchored the film. It was a great kind of counterpoint to Bosey and that relationship and wonderful to kind of instate or reinstate his significance in Wilde's story. Was that something that was really important to you from the beginning? Yes, because I think uh, in, in all these historical characters, you hear about you know, either the great love affair or, or all these things you just have to accept as historical facts. And for me, I think the great love affair was not Oscar Wilde's love affair with Lord Alfred Douglas. It was just an act of snobbery on Wilde's behalf, really. His real love affair and the, one of the tragedies of his life was staring him in the face all the way through, which was Robbie Ross, uh, who, was his, who, who adored him and with whom Oscar had this kind of ongoing on and off dalliance. But in the end, uh, that was the love affair. That's what love is. Uh, unconditional love is uh, what, Os what Robbie showed for Oscar. And Robbie's buried with Oscar, actually. And, Robbie single-handedly rescued Oscar's estate after he died and resuscitated it and, uh, and pulled the whole thing together. So one, that was really my main point, was the historical great love affair was an empty thing, really. Oh, uh, just down in the front. Thank you. Re really enjoyed the film. And I, th I thought it had a Thank bit you. more asperity, maybe, than the one 20 years ago, the Wild film, which is a more sort of stately film. I did just wonder that scene right at the end, the argument at the funeral between Bosie and Robbie, is, is that based on a true That history? happened, yeah. That happened. No one, knows, no one said what happened in it, but uh, everyone, uh, Bosie essentially fell into the grave during the row. Um, and so I kind of made up what happened, but uh, he, th there was a kind of absolutely fabulous like uh, <laughs> row at the graveside. So why didn't you have him fall into the grave? <laughs> but I did have him. He did. He, he did fall into the grave. I mean, they pulled him out, but uh, but um, I, he I, he did sort of fall in. But again, it was. A, I think it was a good punctuation point to just take away to to make it uh, funny, like funerals sometimes are. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Uh, any question? I have one quick one because um, we've got about literally a bit. Of, oh, is there? Can you see one? All right. Um, I love the. Uh, there's a lot of Catholic iconic, uh, Catholic imagery in it and a Catholic sort of feel to it, without being schmaltzy or um, nasty in any way. And um, I wonder if you could say a few words about that. Um, well, I, I was brought up Catholic, and uh, so I suppose I'm lapsed and fallen. Ob uh, ob not obviously, but I am. <laughs> but um, it still fascinates me, and it fascinated Oscar Wilde, I think. And I think he had a Christ complex 
in a way, apart from his own fascination with Christ and apart from also his own amazing writing about Christ in De Profundis. He writes about Christ beautifully. And um, for me, uh, in a way, as a gay man working in a, in a very heterosexual business, uh, I think he's the Christ figure uh, in one sense. And uh, he's half God, half man, but his m manly qualities or his human qualities are much more human than Christ's were in a way because they, they include all, all of our human traits, greed, snobbery, pride, laziness, ego, and it, all those things undid him. Most of us, we get away with it, but they undid him. So um, the Catholic thing is, is, a, is a big part of it for me. Uh, for him, too. He was always about to become a Catholic and then never did. Mm -hmm. uh, anyway, we were literally in the last sort of 50 seconds. I have one quick question, which is uh, one of my favorite scenes is the big argument between Bosey and Wilde. When, and, and the line that resonates is when Bosey says, underneath the pose, there was never any substance. Mm -hmm. or, um, is that the sort of shadow threat about Oscar Wilde that, that we worry about? You know, that there is De Profundus and there is the great works, but a lot of the time, sometimes, it feels a, a bit too witty. I think uh, Wilde is a very, for me, he's a very up-and-down writer, and that's another thing that's attractive about him. His genius is, the importance of being earnest is an amazing work of art. Uh, and, and the plays, uh, the, the pot-boiling melodramas are great. Uh, uh, I think if you go through Dorian Gray, a lot of it is very overwritten, and then a lot of it is absolutely brilliant. He's, 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 he, he's, he was a magpie, uh, writing-wise. He copied a lot from other people, and that's, what, and that's one of the problems people... Uh, Whistler, for example, uh, who loathed him uh, by the end of uh, his time in London. I think that's one of the problems some people had with him. He, they felt he was taking other people's ideas and making them into his own. But that's the kind of thing that we now consider normal. But um, uh, I suppose in one sense, but for me, that's one of the things I like about him. Yeah. Sure. Um, and that is our time up. So um, could we please thank... Thank you very much. Thank you.